In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. Peter Hollins has a huge following online that he's cultivated over years of practice, trial, and error, and continuous improvement. His YouTube presence alone counts over two and a half million, yes, million subscribers. His talents speak for themselves, but his entrepreneurial spirit has turned his singing skills into an adjacent set of opportunities that have turned into a highly successful business. As you listen to Peter share his story, notice how he continuously reinvents himself tests new ideas, doubles down on the ones that resonate with his audience, and as tough as it is, lets the less successful ideas go. One thing that really struck me was how willing Peter was to share his learnings and how he's using that generosity to teach others to do the same. It's one thing to be successful on your own, but when you open up your trade secrets and let others learn from you, everyone wins. Check out the latest episode of Forever Employable Stories. Super thrilled to be back here for yet another Forever Employable Story, the ninth in my accidental podcast. Never meant to start a podcast, but here's where we ended up. Super, super thrilled to be here in this episode today with Peter Hollins, who doesn't like to have a lot of titles, but he's got a lot of titles. So I'm going to list them all. Ready? YouTuber, musician, entrepreneur, founder of an educational company as well, and I'm super thrilled to have you join me here, Peter. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome. So I want to hear about your story. So the best way to start is maybe can give us a bit of a summary about yourself and your career. And I want to dig into the specifics of it a little bit. So kind of on the high level, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Yeah. High level. I was forced into choir in high school, started singing, even though I thought singing was not for males. Uh-huh. And... Uh, my mom was correct. She was right. It was a good decision. I ended up going to the University of Oregon on a full scholarship to become a choral director since my choral director in high school changed my life. I ended up just getting my voice performance degree as an opera singer, which wow. doesn't lend itself to making a living. So my parents were freaked out. However, I fell in love with the recording studio during my college years, recording some acapella CDs with my acapella group I started. So I took all the money I had saved for my master's in teaching and I purchased my own home recording equipment. I started traveling around the nation recording acapella groups from Georgia up to Yale. I just fell in love with being in the studio and male vocal harmony and eventually found myself after being married to my love of my life on Royal Caribbean cruise lines, traveling around the world for four or five years doing Broadway. Mm -hmm. And when we got back from that, I started recording myself and I turned the mic on myself and I stopped recording other groups. And I found myself on a reality TV show called The Sing-Off, which is basically American Idol for dorky acapella guys. (laughs) And even though I had four or five solos, I know, right? (laughs) Oh boy, there's a reality TV show for everything. Even though I had four or five solos on national television. That did absolutely nothing for me as a career, but it did provide the impetus to turn the mic on myself. And so I started 
recording my own music. And just like I taught myself recording engineering, I taught myself video editing. And I started uploading videos to a little website called YouTube. Huh. A and fledgling um, site. Yeah, just a fledgling site. And about 15, 16 months later, I was making a substantial income so that I could stop recording other groups entirely and just started focusing on releasing content on my channel on YouTube and started becoming more consistent and building a foundation for this digital media company that I'm running. And now to this day, which is about, gosh, let's see if I started in January of 2011. And about, yeah, nine and a half years later, I have about a billion views across all my social media and like seven, eight million followers and 10 full-time W2 employees and 30, 40 subcontractors and a small education company because I believe so, so much in teaching all the things that I've learned to my fellow peers so that they can do what they love for a living. And I get to make music for a living. And now I'm here talking to you, sir. Nice. Nice. That's as top level as I can give you. That's amazing. And that's really good. Thank you. And that was we're going to dig into this a little bit. I'm just kind of curious, you know, I, I told you a few minutes ago, I aspired to be a musician briefly for about a decade and still trying though, trying really hard. And so why acapella? I'm just kind of curious for my own curiosity. Why acapella? You studied opera. Clearly you can sing. Why acapella? Well, you know, the first time I listened to acapella music. I was an eighth grader and it was a cassette tape from a collegiate group from BYU, a men's group called Vocal Point. And it's something just really struck a chord with me, no pun intended, and it moved me to no end. And I was drawn to it. And I've had this like little compass inside myself that I just have always followed without like this like really long term, this is where I'm heading in life. So when I watched the University of Oregon and there was no acapella group, I started the acapella group that I wanted to join and I founded it myself. And it was everything that I needed. I don't think I would have actually graduated college if I wouldn't have had those group of guys and that music to get me through all this classical mumbo jumbo. I mean, school of musics in, in most colleges do not prepare you to A, succeed financially or B, even in my opinion, give you the emotion back that you give to it, right? You can't practice for three months to do an opera and have one performance and feel vindicated, at least not as a 18, 19, 20-year-old who needs feedback from your peers so desperately. So it was everything. It is me. That male vocal harmony just moves me emotionally so much. Amazing, amazing. And I did your performance, a piano performance in school as well. And it was brutal. And then, yeah, you, you kind of set yourself up for this one performance. And if you don't get it right, which I didn't get it right, Uh, Well, you're awful. And I was like, but I spent my life like playing, you know? Yeah. And that's not real, you know? It's just not the way it goes. And so maybe Uh, one of the reasons why I love the studio so much, I've done a lot of live performing. My wife and I were even on Broadway for two months, but I love the studio. I'm a studio rat. I love perfecting the music. You can take as many takes as you want and then you put them all together and you're like, look, mom, I can sing good. Amazing. You said, look, you created the group that you wanted at school. And one of the things yeah. I talk about in the book and Forever Employable is if you can't find the community that you're looking for, for some reason you can't join the community that you're looking for, then mm-hmm. create it. Make it yourself. Can you talk a little bit about how you did that? Were there other folks who were like, oh yeah, I definitely want to join this, this male acapella group? Or did you have to work to build that community? Well, of course it's work no matter what, but 
I was in choirs. And so it was a very organic conversation in regards to like, hey, have you guys heard of this thing? Listen to this music right here. Isn't that awesome? Shouldn't we do that? It would be so great. And so I found one other person who had that passion. And so by the end of my freshman year, I found that other person and me and my friend Leonardo da Silva both just went on a torrent and put thousands of posters everywhere. We're like, we're having acapella auditions for this acapella group. It's, it really exists. You should try it. And there was, there was no acapella group until they auditioned for it. And so, yeah, we created it. I mean, I feel like that's a very common theme in my life. I didn't know how to record anything. And then I bought all the equipment and I taught myself. I didn't know how to do video editing. And then I taught myself. I mean, it's like, you can't wait for it. You just got to do it. If you see it, you can copy it. I mean, you just reverse engineer everything. I love what you said a second ago. Like we put up these flyers everywhere that said, this thing exists, come join it, right? But it wasn't there. Oh no, it was not there. Right, but that's the test of things. In the world that I come from, we talk a lot about running experiments and running tests. And one of the things that we do is basically like, like, hey, this thing exists, don't you want to join it, right? If you get enough people to say, yeah, I want to join it, then you create the thing. And it exists, yeah. Right, which is amazing. And it gives off the sense that like, oh, I'm part of this amazing creation. It happens. Look, there's some qualities that I talk about in the book that absolutely relate to this kind of the high level story that you share. Now, I want to dig in a little bit deeper into that. So the emphasis I want to focus on is entrepreneurialism. You clearly got the entrepreneurial spirit. That's obvious. Self-confidence, which I'm going to ask you about mm. first. And then just to give you a sense of kind of a preview where I'm going to head about sort of continuous learning and then reinvention, like continuously kind of reinventing yourself with the times and as things move forward. Because again, as your story shows, you've obviously done that. But I want to start with self-confidence, right? Self-confidence, I mean, you're a performer, so you've got a little bit of that. But one of the things that I find with the folks that I've been talking to a lot, especially since the book has been out, is I say, look, you've got a story, you've got expertise, you've got talent, you've got experience, get out there and tell your story. And they say things like, I can never get in front of people. I can never share that or I can never write that. How have you found your self-confidence? Do you have a story of maybe of something that either drove that or is there a way to develop self-confidence, especially as a performer, right? Not everybody's super comfortable on stage or in front of people. Yeah, no, of course. I had such an incredible, incredibly rough time growing up in terms of not having any self-confidence and being so sensitive that everyone would pick on me, including the teachers even until I found choir and music, you know, I was like a three sport letter. I wasn't like amazing, but like that never gave me the self-confidence until I found this thing and my, and the passion that was able to make me feel like I had self-worth. And so finding my voice let me really actually find my voice. And without that, I wouldn't have self-confidence. I didn't have it, you know, growing up in a small town, once you're like labeled that outcast, it, it's pretty much impossible to grow out of it. Yeah. And so when I was able to leave my small town in Southern Oregon, I did gain self-confidence to some extent. I had self-confidence when I was in that choir room outside of that like safety place and maybe my own house. I felt very much the opposite, but I found myself worth through my voice and through my singing and through the confidence that I got from performing. But I was petrified early on. But it was all about experience of doing it and getting over it and coming into my own. I couldn't give you like a, this one specific moment happened. And then I, it was like a decade of learning and eventually getting to the point where I was like, I'm a good person. I have good intentions. I have self-worth. 
And I really just don't care what you think about me because I believe in myself. But that took so long from somebody who was just picked on to no end when I was younger. Yeah. I think it shows a little bit, right, in the sense that it took you a long time to turn the microphone on yourself, right, from the story that you told, right, you kind of pointed the microphone away from yourself initially, and then kind of turn it into that. As you were telling your story, one of the themes that I was hearing was this, like, this continuous reinvention, right? So, hey, I was going into opera, but then it became a cappella, and then I graduated with that, with a performance degree, but then I started recording, and then recording other people, and then recording... Why this continuous reinvention, right? Why not just say, look, I'm good at this one thing. It's been good. Like a lot of folks, like for example, I don't want to pick on any particular profession, right? But yeah, say accountants, right? I love accountants. Some of my best friends are accountants. So. But like you graduate school with an accounting degree, you're going to do accounting, like right. potentially for the rest of your life, right? right. So, but you're saying, look, I graduated this performance degree and then I just continued to reinvent myself over and over and over again. Why do that? twofold. First and foremost, once you go to college and you spend all that money and you end up getting a degree, which in my opinion is most degrees that don't necessarily lead to longevity in terms of supporting yourself or a family, you have to reinvent yourself in perpetuity no matter what. However, especially in my opinion, this day and age, we all have to reinvent ourselves. And I recommend to my students to do so paying attention to technology and the tools and platforms that provide the infrastructure for you to innovate. But I had to innovate and continue to innovate nonstop because if I don't, then I'm no longer relevant, both in terms of fan acquisition, but also in terms of like passion for actually creating the art itself, whether or not that means I'm orchestrating different, working on different genres of music, using different technology to create the music, to streamline my processes to take myself out of my production funnel so I can create more of it, higher quality, more quantity. I think that it will be the only way to not only be successful moving forward 2020 and beyond, especially we're within the confines of a pandemic, but also given the world global state, I think we all have to think that nothing is consistent anymore. And we have to be able to really, really be open to all of the options out there and copying people and processes that you see others doing that look successful and utilizing reverse engineering to do so and not being afraid, especially as a musician and a creator, to copy. Because no matter what, it'll be unique because you are unique. And I feel like it is the biggest way to flatter somebody is by copying what they do. And I feel like as a musician, oh my gosh, you can't copy them. But I'm like, come on, you look back at Bach and Mozart and Beethoven, they all copied each other. And I think that's why humans in general are successful. We have been successful because we learn from each other and we copy and we copy and we recreate. So reinvent ourselves. It's really excellent advice. Really good insight. Because a lot of folks will say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't have anything unique to say, right? But we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? We stand on the shoulders of people who came before us, regardless of your profession, right? It doesn't matter what it is. We build on the work that came before us. And then eventually, like you said, the way that we do it is never going to be exactly the same as the ways everybody else or the people that came before us is that becomes our thing. And then we evolve and we grow from there. There's a thing I want to dig into really quick that you said that I thought was really interesting. You said, look, I continue to reinvent myself partially because for fan acquisition. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, of course. I make two different types of content, right? You would look at them without thinking and be like, well, that's a music video and that's a music video. One is much more tactical in terms of 
doing a piece of IP that already has a fandom or has a specific timetable that you have tons and tons and millions and tens of millions of people searching and looking at so that all these different algorithms and all these other platforms are providing my content as suggestive content on the backs of other people's content. And so in terms of creating and recreating and recombining art that already exists, one of my pieces of content that I create vertical-wise are very, very specific in terms of like, I'm creating this just to find new fans and new people to find me and my brand and my art. And the other one is more like, I'm creating this because I'm passionate about this music. It moves me. It provides like, you know, if you're a gamer, it gives me mana back. Whereas like the other thing is like, it's my homework. It's what I'm doing because I need to be able to reinvent myself constantly to help, you know, the retention rate that's only at like 95%. And you are always slowly losing fans, whether that's because of other people's monetary issues or their changing tastes or whatever. And so it's quintessential for every single creator to have, in my opinion, an acquisition type of content where you're like, I'm doing this for the reason to gain an audience and a community. And the other one is like, I'm doing this to fulfill myself so I can keep on making this thing. That's the way I look at it. And there's obviously a sliding scale and a percentage of both of those two things. And nothing is ever a perfect science. And there's always a gray area. But for me, I'm like, okay, the last four things I did, three of them got a million views in a month. So I feel confident in myself and I'm going to do this folk song that nobody's ever heard of. And I'm doing it because I love it. And like, here we go, Shenandoah, you're not looking for it, but I'm going to put it in front of you. And I feel like in a lot of ways, many people do that with their careers. They're like, well, this isn't the most popular thing, but I love it. So I'm going to do it. This actually fascinated me. Like, I don't think a lot of folks think about it that way. I think a lot of folks who are trying to build a platform around themselves they don't divide or segment their content in that way. I think for them, it's, I'm just making this for acquisition, for acquisition, for acquisition. And coming from somebody who does that, certainly, there is a level of burnout after a while. Oh, God, creator burnout is rough. And it's real, and the treadmill never ends, and it continues to increase. You know, it's not just creative burnout. At some point, like you said, you've got to do something that really, that is also for you, right? And that's it's fascinating to hear you kind of divide that. I'm super curious, what's the, in a Venn diagram kind of thing, what's the overlap between the folks you acquire who love your sort of acquisition content and yeah. the folks who love your sort of personal fulfillment content? Sure. It is platform dependent. It is demographic dependent. So there isn't just a, a pure answer I can give you. I'll give you some examples, however. If I would have started my career on YouTube creating folk albums and folk songs, my songs like the Parting Glass and Loch Loman and Shenandoah wouldn't have millions and millions of views. They'd have a hundred, you know? So didn't answer your question all the way. I would say on YouTube, given the demographic predominantly being between 18 and 44 years old, I have a hybrid class of around like 25 to 29% that view pretty much everything, regardless of what I create. But it's completely and totally dependent upon because that same like Loch Lomond and Shenandoah and Parting Glass, I released that on Facebook where I have 65 and up as my main demographic. And that is the only thing they want. And the opposite is true. Whereas if I were to release some type of pop song or some type of medley of Disney songs, they don't really care because that's not what they like. Not only is it very, very important to know who your audience is on the platform and create the content specific for that platform, but then give those people what they want. 
that makes a ton of sense. So why YouTube as a platform for yourself? Why did you choose YouTube? Um, yeah, 2011, YouTube was the quintessential best place to build a community, both in terms of their ability to allow us to push things offsite and also just the way that their SEO worked. It was really easy to build there versus anywhere else, in my opinion, especially for music for me. I already had a few leaders in this space that were doing it. And I was like, well, this looks like this makes sense. I mean, I had no idea. I was just copying, right? No. And now I still think to this day, even though you know YouTube is Alphabet and they are very focused on their shareholders, no matter what, they do provide value to their creators at large. And I have found that at least in the middlemen within YouTube, they really do care about their creators more so than any other company, both in terms of the way that these acquisition companies, whether that's Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Instagram, like it's just a lot easier to build a community on YouTube. And I still believe that. They allow you to, at the end of your videos, push offsite. And that type of CTA is, or even call to engagement really, is quintessential to building your community. Yeah, no matter where you build your first following, I really, really recommend all creators to create content and foster content on YouTube because of their track record and because of the value they provide back. Amazing. Why start a company? Why start a company? Yeah, sounds like things were going pretty well. Like why? I accidentally started a company. I don't even think it was on purpose. I think I just started creating processes that allowed me to be more and more consistent and to have higher and higher quality content and more quantity. And so the best way to do that wasn't to hire a manager and give them 20%. And it sure as heck wasn't signing my major record deal that I thankfully got myself out of. It was hiring employees and putting time equity into teaching them what I do, how I do it, and teaching them my voice for community management or for audio editing or audio mixing. And it was the only way to do it. I don't think there is a better way to do it. You have to own your IP. You have to own your creative process. Like the old style of content creation where you like say, please, sir, please let my music or my podcast be heard. Like that doesn't exist anymore. That's not how you do it. You don't go sign an exclusive contract with anyone. You build it yourself. And if you don't, you're making a huge mistake. I don't care who you are. I know so many people, like let's talk music specific. So many people in the music industry who have signed record deals. No one's happy with their label deal. No one. Even people that have won Grammys, they're like, yeah, it's okay. I'm like, but you've won Grammys? Yeah. You're like number one on Billboard? Yeah, (laughs) but it just, I'm like, okay, well, if you think that, then like, you should be screaming that at the rooftops. Right. So the company that you built helps you scale you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And truthfully, like almost 10 years later, I'm trying to take me out of it. Wow. Because you can't do that forever, right? You look me up on the internet, it's just me and my face. And like, that's out of need because I have to show multiplicity. So people go, oh, acapella, how does this work? Oh, I see it, I think. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to be at all about me. If I could, I wish I had a band. And some of the brands that I'm creating, I have a secondary brand that's called Legendary Vocals. And I'm able to share other people to millions of people and I can help them start making a living. And I've been able to do that. And that's so much more worth it. And that's also the same type of overall ethos of why I want to build a bigger education company and get to more and more people and have as many touch points as possible because it's so important for them to learn that the way that we were subconsciously like fed on only one way to create, you have to have 
this big company or this big wig tell us that it's good enough. Like that's no longer relevant. This is 2020. The internet exists. We have free marketing almost worldwide. No, not really China and Russia and maybe some other places, but like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Surviving COVID, not the disease, but the impact of the disease. How is what you're doing faring during the pandemic? How has it helped you get through it? Talk to us a little about that. Well, building a company that relies so heavily upon residual revenue has been more of a good decision than I could have ever assumed going into it. We did have a significant loss of revenue in terms of like some of the live stuff that we were doing, which is still a byproduct of all the stuff that we create online because, you know, you put yourself out there and all the opportunities, like you said earlier, come back to you. Like we were just offered to be on Broadway. We didn't audition. I mean, those type of things happen when you create your online brand. Thankfully, we've been able to succeed and accelerate because a lot of people have been losing their jobs. And so we've been able to hire on remote workers and provide value to them and double down on things that have worked in the past that are very digitally focused. And I'm a digital brand. I'm somebody that creates digital content. And so thankfully, I get to still hide out in my house and make music. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations to you, Peter. Peter, thanks so much, man. Story's amazing. Tons and tons of takeaways, tons of stuff to learn. I appreciate you you being candid about everything. And I have a sense that folks are really going to learn a lot from this. So thanks so much for being uh, on the show and best of luck with everything. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.